0: My guest today is Dr. Matthew Rowley, uh, who uh, has a new book out. We're going to talk about Trump and Protestant reaction to make America great again. Uh, But before we do that, let me offer uh, a formal introduction. Uh, Dr. Rowley's Ph.D. was on Christianity and violence in the Puritan Atlantic world. He is currently an honorary visiting fellow at the University of Leicester and research associate at the Cambridge Institute on Religion and International Studies in the UK. Did I pronounce Leicester right?
1: (laughs) It's Leicester.
0: Leicester. I'm going to go at that again. Okay. (laughs) So Matt, uh, we'll pick it up from here. He is currently an honorary visiting fellow at the University of Leicester and research associate at the Cambridge Institute on Religion and International Studies in the UK. His writings on religion, politics, and violence have appeared in outlets like The Journal of Religion and Violence, The Review of Faith and International Affairs, The Conversation, and The Washington Post. He can be followed on Twitter, at matthew rawley r-o-w-l-e-y 11. well dr rawley welcome to shank talks Bunhofer boy do we have a lot to talk about thanks for being a conversation partner today
1: and thank you for having me on
0: we met around a conference sponsored by a group at uh, cambridge university in the uk and uh, that was on, uh, nationalism and Protestant political thought. And here you are examining a very peculiar, narrow band of that phenomenon, uh, that manifests itself here in the United States. And I think you're still a U.S. citizen. Is that correct? You're still I American. Am, yes.
1: I'm living in the U S right now.
0: Oh, you are? Yes. Where are you these days?
1: I'm living in Southern Connecticut.
0: Oh, okay, fine. Great. I know I've, Connecticut. I spent a lot of my summers as a kid growing up uh, in new Britain, Hartford area. Where are you?
1: I'm uh, North of Bridgeport in Monroe area. So yeah, right. Um, it's a relatively recent move.
0: I say, uh, uh-huh. what is, what is uh, native home to you? I mean, where, where were you reared?
1: Um, East Longmeadow, Massachusetts.
0: Ah right, um, so you are a New Englander. Yes well let's uh let's talk a little bit uh about your own background. What brings you to this subject matter. I mean, most, I think would say it's peculiar. <laughs> uh, it's not your sort of average uh topic of Christian interest, although these days, I think happily more and more. Uh, it's become that, but um, what's your own trajectory? I don't think you were born with a PhD. Uh, <laughs> what took you on that path?
1: Uh, for a long time, for both my bachelor's and master's degree, I was training for the ministry to enter the pastorate. And at the same time, I was uh, very involved politically and um You know, it had a blog where I was writing pretty uh, lowbrow political commentary and, you know, just going after enemies anywhere I could find them and was involved (laughs) in the Tea Party movement and other things like that. And um, I started to get a bit worried about certain aspects of it and started to question um, various things that I was seeing, particularly as I was running into other Tea Partiers. And, um, and so there's a, a, you know, a slow questioning of some of the ways that I was mixing religion and politics. Um, but then I I went on to seminary and really got interested in the Puritans and, uh, really focused on, uh, that rich tradition. And I think realizing my own bent towards being self-righteous and being angry and argumentative um i decided that i was going to study the the worst moments of the puritans um not to confirm my prejudices but to challenge them and to try to look at um you know this movement um that was uh, deeply wanting to please god in the public sphere uh was also prone towards a lot of abuses. And uh, and I chose to look at uh, in particular um, the Puritan massacre of Native Americans, of uh, Irish Catholics and of warfare in Scotland and England. And so really looking, trying to examine my own mixture of religion and politics uh, via the Puritans. Um, and so that, that kind of led me away from uh, pastoral ministry and wanting to go into history, which is what I ended up doing uh, my PhD on.
0: Wow, I would say if if you had attempted to bring that subject matter into a pastoral pulpit, you probably would have been in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: would imagine.
0: And, and And maybe we could pause for a moment here at the Puritan question, because I think, you know, unless you're a, a real student of american history particularly american religious history you, you know uh, most of us would have a kind of uh, uh you know two uh, uh two-dimensional uh impression of who the puritans were can you give us your working definition of the puritans who who, who exactly were they
1: uh, I mean, I I managed to go my entire PhD thesis without ever defining the Puritans. Um, they they're an extra, they're an extraordinarily complex group. Um, I, roughly speaking, they wanted to purify the church. They wanted to reform the Reformation itself, and that took them in so many different directions. Um, and a, and after having studied them now for for about six years intensively, um, I'm very much in awe of them. And awe encompasses both respect and revulsion. Um, both of those things there. So the Puritans are often their their name is often used in a derogatory fashion, but they for their time, they were expanding the freedom of speech. They were um, arguing uh, vigorously for for all people being made in the image of God. They were really important to the development of democracy and rights. and even um, affectionate marriage and all sorts of things like that that they're a very complex group of people um, but in certain political circumstances um, all of their theology of grace all of their theology of of, um, you know beliefs in righteousness and divine uh divine providence all gets weaponized and used for political ends and um and they're often known for for their abuses um, as opposed to, you know, many of the very admirable things, uh, about that tradition.
0: Yeah. I've often thought that today, the Puritans, you know, when you, when we say someone's Puritanical or is a Puritan, we're often speaking in regressive terms. Yes. But for their time, they were arguably progressive.
1: Yes. And Marilyn Robinson has recently, you know, she's been a defender of, of Calvin and the Puritans. Um, she recently wrote that the Puritans were the most progressive people on earth, and they deserve notice. Um, mm. And and so, a lot of that is part of what I'm working out in the book is the sense of, you know, the the Puritans when they when they landed in in what is now New England, um, they do get involved in slavery and in expelling Native Americans from the land. Um, and they and they were also um, some of the the most uh, progressive and humane people at the time. And so how do we hold both of those things in tension?
0: Mm -hmm. So you examined this uh, in your research and in your writing and now that foundation brings you to a very modern question. Yes. A very contemporary question which is you know for lack of a better term i'll use the maga phenomenon here in the united states which entails i'm sure you would say a number of things but among them the evangelical embrace of donald trump Mm -hmm. and trumpism if i can use that and 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 you look at this in the book yes trump and the Protestant reaction to make America great again. Can you give us a synopsis a, 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 a précis of the sure. book?
1: Yeah, so the book just started out with a basic historical question. I was curious as a 17th century historian, what the effect of the 2020 election would be um, converging at the same time as the 400th anniversary of Plymouth. And um, I didn't expect to be writing a book about such central issues of justice and racism and equality. Um, but that as, as I studied it more and more, I, I needed to, um, address those issues head on and how, and how Americans, um, interact with their past, so part of, part of my argument in the book is that the past, the American past is a foreign country and that both the left and the right like to vacation there, but they really (coughs) don't like bumping into each other on the beach.
0: Mm. And, wow, well said.
1: And when the left and the right, uh the Protestant left and the Protestant right in particular look at the American past, they remember very different things. And in many ways, they are speaking past each other. And so I I've as over the course of writing the book, it became evident that Protestants have three different ways of interacting with the past. And I've called the first one, the make America great again, position. And if you you think of Trump's slogan, the last word of it again, is a fun, again, is a fundamental historical claim. So he's wrapping a historical claim about national greatness, national decline around a vision of progress. Um, and so he's, he's really trying to restore something about the past, but, but what is that that is being restored? Um, and so I argue that there are three primary approaches to the past that uh, the Protestants of the left and right variety have. And the first one is the make America great again position. And they, they essentially say that America was great, it needs to be restored. Um, usually that involves restoring what made it great between 1620 and 1950. And these Protestants tend to really worry that denigrating the past and destroying historical figures and memories will unmoor the nation from what made it great and that america can never be great if it doesn't remember and restore what made it great in the first place Um, the second group of protestants i've called the make america lament uh, position and these protestants many of them are minorities and they tend to be on the protestant left Uh, they argue that america was never great and Uh, And it certainly was never great for women and for people of color. Um, And so they argue that the attempt to make America great again is just a a dangerous trip uh, down memory lane. And that it ignores the history of racism and sexism and land grabbing and oppression. Um, And so these Protestants in, in light of Trump's slogan want to say, America needs to lament and for them lament is is not about shaming it's a very intimate thing it's almost trying to draw america into the pain and hurt of what it means to be marginalized within within america Um, and so this group this group of protestants is really they seem allergic to saying anything good about america Um, and a lot of their fear is that if they if they criticize 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 and then say one good thing then the right will take that one good thing and ignore all the criticisms. And so you kind of have this standoff where the make America crowd, uh, is only saying what went right. And they're not, they're not accounting for what went wrong in American history. And then the, the make America lament crowd is really only focusing on what went wrong. And they have a very hard time articulating what went right. Um, And so then I argue that there's a third group of Protestants and these are the make America better crowd. And they are not willing to say that America was ever great, but they they earnestly desire uh, to look in the past and find a complex history there. And they want to use deeply flawed documents and individuals and persons and find resources in the past, even in these deeply flawed persons, that can help Americans move towards justice and equality. Um, And I argue that one of the strengths of this third position, this make America better position is how it frames the struggle ahead. Uh, So critiquing the nation is an act of patriotism and it's an act of maturity to look at the past squarely. And so they're very much trying to Say that in order for us to be a strong, mature, and healthy country, we need to own up to the reality of injustice in America's past. Um, and so, I was working on the three these three positions when um, when the killing of George Floyd happened in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and and the whole um, historical reckoning that followed that, both in the United States and around the world. And so, the conclusion just looks looks at this debate over history um, and really urgently argues um, for a better way of viewing history, which we we can discuss um, later if you'd like. But that that in a nutshell is the book.
0: Yeah. Wow. And normally I've read a book by the time I talk with an author uh, on this platform. I haven't with you. I'll confess that, name it, own it, admit it. (laughs) I have not read (laughs) your book yet, but now uh, I intended to, and it's on my to-be-read list, uh, and I'm getting there. But now I'm going to hurry up, uh, because uh, I, I think this is, notwithstanding the fact that uh, you know all appearances are, and, and everyone is quite convinced that uh, Donald Trump has been defeated in the last election, uh, and will be a one-term president, replaced by uh, Joe Biden, uh, at the same time, I think the same observers will say that while Trump may be done in terms of the Oval Office, uh, Trumpism is alive and well mm-hmm. and will continue to inform particular streams within American, uh, in the American populace. And among them, my own crowd, uh, American evangelicals, And I'd like to, again, uh, pause for a second. I'm I'm very conscious that we have listeners uh, all over the world. And some may not be as uh, uh, familiar with why Protestants are so important to examine in America. Can we talk a little bit about that, the Protestant influence here, the Protestant presence here how do you see that
1: yeah i the protestant it's hard to overstate the influence of protestant christianity on america um i mean i've pretty much anywhere you look whether it is our views towards alcohol or uh women's rights or slavery or uh or equality or democracy all the major debates have had throughout our history all the major debates have had um, a heavy influence from Protestant um, from Protestant individuals, often with Protestants lining up on exact opposite sides of these debates. Um, and so I've I've even heard it said that all American debate takes place in the forms um, in the forms of discourse from the Second Great Awakening. Um, there's just such a, a deep uh, emotional influence of uh, Protestant Christianity on America. That's of course not saying that America is or should be considered a Christian nation, but it's showing that um, th- that the Protestant influence is one of the most important factors to take into account when looking at history, when looking at voting patterns, and other things like that.
0: Yeah, I would argue that American Protestant Christians are really. The largest and most influential block in terms of the formation of American culture. Would you agree with that?
1: I certainly. Or do you would. think
0: that's taking it? Mm,
1: okay. I certainly would. Yeah, and I. But I would want to add that that's not always a good thing, and I think you would agree with that.
0: I agree with that completely. Yeah. Yes, because uh-huh. a,
1: a lot of the people who, a lot of the people who want to argue that you know Protestant Christianity was so influential in America, past and present they they couple with that this this triumphalist narrative that you know it's always good and uh one recent author had described this as uh, as the forest gump of history you know where where the bible is always present and always doing good everywhere that it goes and it's very different in america there's there the the relationship between religion and politics is very ambiguous um, where sometimes it's doing a lot of good and and really um, changing our world for the better, but other times it's, it's not.
0: Yeah, I would offer as an example of that, just follow the arc of one sub unit of American Protestantism, only because I'm so familiar with it mm-hmm. is Methodism. And if you look at, the methodist church or the methodist movement within american protestantism just follow that arc and and you see that there's a whole lot of good wonderful philanthropic humanitarian spiritual cultural good but right alongside it is uh, some real bad (laughs) including justification and uh the embrace of slavery uh slave trading uh and on and on it goes so Mm -hmm. um you know at one point in my culture club american evangelicals uh would have said methodists were the quintessential bible believing christians in america put that in the middle maybe of the 19th century Today, they would say probably the opposite uh, about it. So, uh, these are very dynamic movements, and you referred to the Puritans, which, I don't know, am I right to to think that they basically gave birth to what we now think of as Presbyterianism in, in America or, or Congregationalism?
1: They... They were influential both in in Presbyterianism and Congregationalism and Quakerism um, and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, I forget about um,
0: the Quakers. Sure. Yeah,
1: they were they were such a dynamic group that um, they just kind of spawned all sorts of different um, different different movements.
0: Mm, yep. Well, you named you know as or at least you implied one of their downsides was their kind of sanctimonious certitude or at least it became that Mm -hmm. over time and you know i i've seen that in american evangelicalism which is the group i spend most of my time with both historically and uh contemporaneously so uh all right well not to get lost in church history (laughs) let's 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 bring it right up to the present and back to uh the framework of your book which uh is basically around these um the making of america as something um can we explore those a little more deeply for example uh in chapter three uh, you you examine this make america great again which is the slogan that we've all been used to uh for the last four or five years here in the united states and it's embodied in um in the person of donald trump and the voice of donald trump but you name some other actors in in this uh, specifically religious actors robert jeffress cal thomas Oz guinness eric metaxas michael brown these are folks I know personally. I've spent time with them. I've shared platforms with them. I've corresponded with them. I've been on their shows. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to, oh, well, well, with Eric Metaxas, I have uh, interviewed him, but I've been on Eric's radio show. Why do you name them in particular?
1: I, well, part of it was I simply had to limit myself to people who actually publish books. So I didn't go, I didn't go into the blogosphere or other things like that. I, I looked at, you know, who has published books during, basically during the Trump presidency. Um, and so that kind of limited my choices, which everybody has to do for some reasons, but um, yeah, so that was part That was part of the reason for picking them. Um, and I, I tried to show, you know, various slices within each group. So, you know, Eric Metaxas is very different from Cal Thomas in a lot of ways. Um, uh, But I was specifically looking at, you know, how do they deal with America's history? So if America is great and we need to make it great again, how do they deal with racism? How do they deal with sexism, uh, stealing land and, and exploitation throughout history? And what I found was that these authors all of them confess the sins of the past, which actually surprised me a little bit. Um, they all confess it, but it's usually only one paragraph in length. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, it's almost as if to say, you know, yes, we know there was slavery. Yes, we know women weren't treated with equality. Yes, we know that you know, the land wasn't acquired in, in the greatest of means, um, but let's focus on something else. And to the Protestant left, um, this feels like a denial of history. Um, it feels as if they're, you know, giving kind of a little nod to, you know, oh, you know, yes, there's racism in the past, but let's move on to talk about how great America is. And and that's deeply offensive to the Protestant left. Um, and
0: I would think to those injured by those national oh, very, sins. Very much.
1: And, and we can talk about it later as well, but both of all three of these groups have a different conception of how the past in influences the present. And so the Make America Great Again crowd is much more likely to say, you know, these bad things happened, and they'll give it one paragraph overview, these bad things happened, and the consequences of them are largely walled off from the present. Mm-hmm. And so they don't see, they don't see any good in dwelling on the sins of the past Um, they believe that they need to harness what was best in the past in order to restore American greatness but focusing on the sins of the past will only make America critical judgmental um, and intolerant and so they really they wall off the consequences of the past from the present and as a result um, slavery doesn't have you know big ongoing effects or uh you know denying women the right to vote don't have ongoing effects um so so all of these these three groups also disagree on how the past impacts the present
0: yeah if you were to ask me i mean i've had table conversation with most of uh the individuals you name uh in your book and you know take for example slavery in america i think each of them in typical conversation would treat that as a sort of momentary aberration yes yes it's there but it's in the margins and we fixed that problem and we moved on and we should leave it uh in the past uh because all things are made new you know that gospel uh adage um so uh, yeah uh wow i see your (laughs) i see your point and uh and it's important the implications are enormous and very consequential when you when you uh, dismiss uh national sins of that magnitude Mm -hmm and the harm and the injury they inflicted, uh, not only in the time they were most present, but uh, in subsequent generations, on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. So then you move on uh, in chapter four to uh, an examination of the Make America Lament side, which I associate mostly with what you know my gang would typically call liberal
1: mm-hmm.
0: or progressive uh christians uh you know to name them episcopalians uh united church of christ united or uh pc usa presbyterian church in the united states other liberal christians is that who you're getting at here
1: yes but it's more complicated than that so you will find some who would be more on the religious conservative side and often it depends on if they are part of a minority community Um, so they will feel theologically maybe more at home with the make america great again crowd but as far as uh, social attitudes as far as uh, working for justice in the present and confronting injustice they're much more on, on the left leaning side. Um, and so they kind of feel a bit of a split identity, um, going on there. Uh, so it's prim- primarily more the Protestant left, but also, also, um, some people on the, on the Protestant right can join in with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, where I would see that breakdown it most vividly would be the white liberal denominations the episcopal church presbyterian church usa united methodist church or at least uh the most you know uh, the, the largest uh side of that as and then uh maybe the the classic black church uh you know The black churches that I visit and even preach in will have an altar call, you know, uh, calling on people to have a born-again personal experience of faith, Uh, spend a lot of time with the Bible and see it as uh, God's Word and uh, final rule of faith and practice politically they would be democrats where their white counterparts would be republicans true
1: yeah that's that's the general divide although everything is often a bit messier than that but
0: yes of course of course yeah here i am (laughs) uh simplistically (laughs) looking at it you looked at it uh in, in in a much finer uh sense uh so and then in chapter five you go on to this make america better concept and i get the impression is that sort of where you settle yourself personally
1: yeah this over time i think um i realized that i i needed to not just describe these three positions but i needed to make an argument for one of them and i think the make america better position is the most likely um I think it's the truest to history because it it's, it's okay with complexity. Um, and it is also the most likely to, um, to create a shared memory that can help the pursuit of justice and equality be a bipartisan effort, um, instead of a partisan one. Um, so Susan Neiman in her book, learning from the Germans says that the first thing that a nation needs to do in overcoming its its racist past is to construct a shared national narrative. And because the Make America Great Again position is so polarized one way and the Make America Lament so polarized the other, neither of them is ever gonna have any chance at becoming the widely shared narrative. Um, but a, a complex view of history, history I, I argue um, does have that ability to do so. Um, and and i also argue that the make america better position is not a goldilocks position in between the two Mm -hmm. it's act it's actually a position beyond the make america lament one um so it it's not goldilocks so it doesn't it doesn't say oh america's not as bad as one side claims and it's not as good as the other one um it actually takes on board the make america lament position And then moves one critical step beyond it and says all right having lamented the past having looked at these figures and persons and and having traced the impact that that past national sins have on the present what do we do now what kind of country can we live in is there anything about america that you can then take pride in and i think the the make america better position says yes there is a lot we can use our shared history. We can use our shared documents, and we can certainly use the Bible uh, to to work for justice and equality in the present.
0: Um, you know, as you say that, uh, what comes to mind are words I've heard from, uh, you know, former President Barack Obama in his. Uh, you know, oft-repeated phrase, uh, we are uh, aiming towards a more perfect union. I've heard it from Al Sharpton. Uh, and other voices that are often labeled as extreme left. Mm-hmm. And yet they seem to land more where where you are. Yes. Uh and and then, of course, you have the, you know, the 20% margins on either end of the social spectrum, political social spectrum in the United States, so you have extreme right and extreme left in mm-hmm. those 20%, but in the 80%, it seems to me that if you ask sort of the average person about these matters, you know, the, the terrible failings, In American history whether it was the trail of tears or slavery uh, or uh, denying women the rights to own property to control their own bank accounts to vote etc child labor all of that that they will say yes that was terrible that was terrible but you know we, we we addressed those those problems we fixed those problems we've moved on we have laws now we don't do that anymore we don't approve of that which kind of puts them here so you know i'm thinking of the marketers i've known through my career unfortunately the fundraisers and others who say no you have to play to one of the extremes Mm -hmm. you have to go to the right or to the left Because everything in between nobody's interested in. And yet it seems like they're terribly interested. It is, yeah. Finding resolution, in understanding uh, how to hold these things in tension, how to face them, and yet not give into pessimism and you know exasperation and resignation. So how would you say? we can move forward towards a positive resolution Mm -hmm. to either of those extremes. The people who who utterly give up on America, it's so toxic, it's beyond (coughs) repair. And the others who say, if we just go back 50 years, we can reclaim romantic greatness Mm -hmm. and we won't have to face any of this. Uh, How do we get there?
1: Yeah, and I, in, in response to your first question, I think, so in the book, I, I put President Obama in the Make America Better uh, camp. Um, he oh. is, he, he, he points out the flaws in the past, but he uses the resources of the past and he uses what went right in the past in order to try to goad Americans towards justice and equality. And so I, I very much identified this position with him uh, with Martin Luther King Jr., also people like Frederick Douglass. Um, there, there is a long tradition of uh, African Americans who are using um, using the past in this way uh, that that is very complicated, but is basically using using the the founding ideal in order to critique the founding reality. Um, and as as far as moving forward i i agree with you entirely i think that the majority of americans would probably want to fit within the make america better position i think that they're told that they have to choose so it's it's not just politicians and you know various marketing people who say you know you've got to play to the extremes um i think just social pressure especially in a social media age, um, where you're basically told you have to pick one of the two extremes. Um, and part of what I try to do is is in the book, make the argument that political polarization, the polarization of American history actually hinders the pursuit of justice and equality. Mm. That we we cannot actually have meaningful discussions about about the ways that the past impacts the present because the extremes are demanding absolute allegiance and i i don't think the majority of americans would fit in either of those extremes i think that they recognize a complexity in the past and and also recognize that the past isn't in the past and it it doesn't play out in a foreign country it's present and the past barges into the present with no knock searches and it barges into the present with, you know, knees on someone's neck. Um, And I think most Americans recognize that and they want to do something about it. Um, I I guess, yeah.
0: And I might just add to that, um, that the good also barges in. And I see it, for example, in the aftermath of uh, the murder of George Floyd and other men of color uh in recent days and then you see a flood of people in the streets Mm -hmm. uh white middle class suburbanites uh who take risks socially and otherwise physically even uh, you know when you face heavily armed uh militarized police forces and they're lobbying uh gas grenades at you you, you you're in a uns- very unsafe place and you know i saw so many willing to do that and then to do more than that to put mm-hmm. pressure on their elected officials to elect uh different representatives on every level of government local state, federal to address and resolve uh you know this kind of problem so i i i see your point and both the bad and the good invade yes. yes uh and as an historian you you help us to really appreciate that because i think a lot of people see it happen but they don't realize that these are forces from the past as well as the present
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh that are at work and they have long histories behind them
1: mm-hmm.
0: so uh all right so so uh, say on. You, 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 uh, I had you on. A, I just interrupted. Uh, your, no, that's okay. Your, your, your good uh, advice here on how yeah. we get there. How do we improve?
1: So I guess I'll break my advice into two different categories. One you could call, you know, related to history, and the other one uh, about um, temperament, maybe. Um, hmm. So historically speaking. Americans need to be better at confessing the past and connecting the dots.
0: Um,
1: So what I mean by confessing the past isn't, I don't mean a confession of guilt, like, you know, I am personally responsible for slavery or I, or I'm not talking about confession in that sense. Um, a confession of faith claims to acknowledge truth. It doesn't claim to create truth. It just, acknowledges what happened and Americans need to become skilled at confessing the past in that sense, saying slavery happened, slavery, uh, um, the subjugation of, of women happened, land was taken from Native Americans and then, um, and then whites paternalistically governed them in very unhelpful ways. These things happened and confession simply acknowledges it. Um and it needs to be a deep confession um, so so first, there's a confession of the past, then connecting the dots. and that that's Americans need to be more skilled at connecting the dots between past events and the present um, and looking at the ways in which the past continues to influence the present for good or or evil. And this does mean, like you mentioned with the good um, you know, showing showing the enormous good that has come through uh, through the Christian tradition in America, um, that those dots need to be connected to the present. But there also needs to be connected, um, you know, the relationship between slavery and and the present, and that'll take in all sorts of details like um, you know, like like voter discrimination or. Uh, redlining or unequal education or the new Jim Crow, Uh, all of those are dots in the sequence and they need to be connected. And part of the reason why much of the country really struggles with connecting the dots is because there's a hundred year gap in American memory. So basically from the emancipation proclamation up to um, the Montgomery bus boycott, there's a gap. Most Americans don't know what happened there. Now, of course, they know, they know that, you know, World War One and World War Two happened, they know big events that relate to white people, but most Americans don't know what happened to, um, to minorities within this country. And so whites really need to learn this history. Um, so I, I, that's on the, the historical Are you going to treat it?
0: Are you ever going to treat it? That that 100-year gap? It's the first time I've heard it described as such. But
1: I, I, I give a basic sketch of it in my book.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh bravo. Okay, so I guess I'll discover that.
1: It's a very inadequate sketch of it, but just try, yeah, but trying some, to sketch it out a little bit.
0: Well, sometimes just a primer is the best way, at least, to yes. create curiosity.
1: Yes, that's my and,
0: hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, and as you say it, uh, wow, I see the critical the critical importance of that 100 year
1: mm-hmm.
0: gap. Well, n- not to further interrupt, please go on. So,
1: so those are my recommendations on history, um, confessing the past and connecting the dots. Um, as far as recommendations for, for temperament, I think Americans need to become more curious, more empathetic, and more open to self critique. And I can go into each of those very briefly. Um, Please. I, I think one of the things that struck me the most in studying modern politics is how incurious Americans are about people they disagree with. Mm. There's almost no desire to find out why people vote differently than you do. Um, they, you know, there are no shortage of, you know, excellent articles that have been written, trying to figure it out. But generally speaking, I mean, I, I kind of start with, with the presumption that, you know, half the country disagrees with me, mm. I, I kind of want to know why. Mm. And if somebody tells me that half the country disagrees with me because they're either deluded or evil. Those are usually the two options. Um, those are completely inadequate answers. and so I think Americans need to become more curious about their neighbor. you know why why do they think the way they do? Um, and I think that they will find good reasons for why they those they disagree with act and believe like they do they They may not find the best reasons or even the correct reasons you, you might not conclude, but I think discovering the rationale, behind why your neighbor votes differently than you is really important. Um, so we need more curiosity. Um, coupled with that, Americans need more empathy. And I, I think that empathy is often misunderstood because it's assumed that if you empathize with somebody, it shuts down critique and, I argue in the book that empathy is the place that critique starts. If you're going to if you're going to really critique somebody else's position, you need to empathize with them. You need to understand what makes them tick. You need to understand um, what what kinds of beliefs and what kinds of histories are informing the decisions that they are making. Um, so there needs to be a reframing of empathy from, you know empathy is not, it's not bad. It's, it's actually where good critique starts. Um, so more curiosity, more empathy. And I also think, uh, that self critique is needs to be reframed as a virtue. Um, our country needs more Christians who are willing to critique Christians. It needs more Muslims willing to critique Muslims, more atheists, to critique atheists, more Democrats to critique Democrats. Um, self critique is vital for the health of an individual for for the health of a community um and often the person who is doing the self critique is viewed as a traitor and um and that needs to be reframed you you need to be able to critique your country and simultaneously be uh love it and respect it
0: all of that <laughs> makes me think of Jesus in the encounter with the rich young ruler, Mm -hmm. from whom he demanded a great deal, uh, go and sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't, and the scripture says Jesus loved him, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: even though uh, they were at odds, uh, they were at opposite positions and one would walk away from the other. He loved him. Yeah. So uh, there, there are all of those elements present there. There's the curiosity, the empathy, and in a sense, the self uh, critique. Although in the end, yeah. it's it's denied and, and ineffective, but it's present.
1: And I, so, I think, I think please. that if you look at the the Hebrew Bible, as uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has said, the entire Hebrew Bible is one long narrative of national self critique. Mm. And that continues once you get to the New Testament and you have um, the, the words about pulling the log out of your own eye. I, when I would write, sit down to write my PhD, I was constantly reminding myself that I need to pull logs out of my own eye before I critique people of the past. Um, yeah. And I just think that scripture provides such rich resources for empathy and self critique. And they're often just not used because they're not, they're not useful in the political fight. And when everything is reduced down to a political war, um, empathy, critique, self critique, charity, those are usually the first casualty. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Much, much to our impoverished impoverishment. Uh, to our detriment uh, when that happens, and and this is why I see the greatest crisis in American religion, uh, particularly uh, conservative, if you will, religion, both uh, Protestant, Evangelical and Catholic, uh, is its politicization,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: because it defeats all those positive impulses that religion has you know i would argue that the christian message the christian gospel the christian scriptures along with as you uh, referred to the hebrew scriptures um and 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 beyond uh call us to do all three of those things routinely
1: mm-hmm. as a
0: matter of routine mm-hmm. uh, to be curious uh to be empathetic uh, and to be uh, self-critiquing uh, self-examining uh, so uh, Wow, there's a lot there and uh, I want to thank you for bringing this all forward in your own life in your research and academic work, but now in a very practical manual for us uh, being uh, obviously, what you present in Trump and the Protestant reaction to make America great again, Rutledge, by the way, uh, if you're looking for it, um, is is more than uh, an academic treatise. Uh, you're not giving us pure theory here. Uh, you're giving us some really good, I dare say, pastoral advice. <laughs> Thank you very much and. And let me pay you the highest compliment in uh, the institute's world, which is to say you, what you present is terribly Bonhoeffrian. Oh, thank, so, you. <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a number of ways uh, you know, to defend that position that this is uh, very good Bunhofrian work uh and and i you know i might even go so far as to say it's it's part of his unfinished work because uh in meeting his end so untimely at age 39 he left so much work to do and one of the things he left was the repair of all the damage done in the past mm-hmm. and you're helping us uh to address that so uh Dr. Matthew Rowley. Matt, if I may. Uh, I think we're getting to know one another. Uh you've given us a lot here, and I'm going to encourage our whole listening family to pick up the book, Trump and the Protestant Reaction to Make America Great Again. Matthew raley, R-O-W-L-E-Y, will have a link to it on our site uh so happy you're back here on this side of the atlantic uh maybe <laughs> after this plague abates uh we can sit down with one another uh for now you feel a little closer than you were when you were in the uk but are yeah. you headed back across um,
1: no uh, no i've uh, settled down the ocean? Here, so, yeah.
0: oh you have. okay so you're back and what's next for you
1: um i'm working on several projects so i'm editing a two-volume primary source Um, edition of Protestant political thought, and that's ranging from Martin Luther to World War I. And it's taking key selections in Protestant political thought and putting them all within two volumes. Uh, So you'll be able to read Protestant arguments for slavery, Protestant arguments against slavery, um, African-American arguments for slavery, African-American arguments against it. Um, It will will be uh, all sorts of different political topics, but there will be um uh, a a one-stop shop for readers to go to and look at this complicated and very rich history
0: superb do you have a publisher yet not yet okay uh well you'll get one with (laughs) that with that content and uh, and i'll be snatching it up as soon as it comes off the presses uh and 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 what else sounds like you've got more than one project going
1: yeah I'm editing a volume on uh, miracles and warfare in the medieval and early modern world, so that's looking at how people think God intervenes in warfare um, okay little, little more
0: arcane but not not beyond our interest at the institute uh, yes. um, so good for you
1: and then i'm I'm working i'm I'm way down the totem or way down the 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 latter on um, a project on William Wilberforce's diaries at the University of Leicester. So oh, I'm uh, oh. working on transcribing uh, some of his letters uh, for a multi-volume Oxford University press edition um, that will Fantastic. come out. Some, sometime in the very long future that will come out.
0: So is your alma mater uh, the um, the repository for Wilberforce's
1: No, there... Uh, He doesn't I don't think they have any of them actually. Oh, Um, I see. Yeah, they're mainly at Oxford uh, Duke University and Hull Um, Yeah, but his his diaries have never been fully published only only small portions of them and His sons were often embarrassed at their father's religiosity So they they kind of selectively edit a lot of his evangelical zeal out of his um, out of Mm. his diaries
0: Yeah, not that that hasn't been done before. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I'm glad I imagine in your treatment, you're treating the whole of him.
1: Yes, and I'm only doing a tiny sliver of this project. So I don't want to Mm. claim too much, but yes.
0: (laughs) Well, you're anything but bored. Yes, that's uh, true. (laughs) These days. (laughs) So I wish you well with uh with all of those projects and all of your endeavors and I hope it won't be the last time we hear from you again my conversation partner today has been Dr. Matthew Raleigh R O W L E Y author of Trump and the Protestant Reaction to Make America Great Again rutledge 2020 make sure you get a hold of it read it review it uh, on uh, Amazon or wherever you like to post your reviews? Please do that. Let us know what you think of it. We'll pass it along to Matt. And Matt, I hope we'll have the chance to talk again. Many, many thanks for this contribution. I, I'd like to think of it as in the in the category of uh, Tikkun Olam. You know, the the repair of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we 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 really receive it as such. And, uh, it's out now, right? It, it, has it is out now. Yeah. Released. Great. Yeah.
1: You can direct your readers to the Kindle edition, which is much cheaper than the hardback. So.
0: Okay. Okay. Good. Get it on Kindle. Uh, if you're like me, you like the company of paper books. I do. So I'll, I'll be nabbing it, uh, in paper, but, um, but we'll get, it, we'll get it read any way we can. Uh, thanks Matt. For Thank the conversation you. today thanks for the book trump and the protestant reaction to make america great again it's not passe it's very present here and now it will outlive donald trump and the whole uh phenomenon surrounding him so we're going to be treating this question for a long time to come and uh I suspect we'll be picking up your volume many, many times in the course of that correction, Matt. So, good. Take good care. Thank you very much. God bless, and we'll look for more of your titles in the future.